0: Father God, thank you so much for giving us a saviour. A saviour who is not only great, but a saviour who knows humility and weakness. Father, we pray that you would grow our hearts to be more like Jesus. You would increase our minds that we might understand more of who he is and why he came. And I pray, Father, that would affect our hands, that it would affect the way we live and, and the way we engage with one another and the world around us. Please speak to us now. By your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you're ever in Florida on holiday and you're looking for a church, somewhere to go on a Sunday, let, let me advise you to go to Daytona Beach Drive-In Church. Now, as the name suggests, they're, um, they, they meet out of what used to be one of the drive-in cinemas. You know, the ones where you, you sort of you drive you through the gates and on the way in, you get a service sheet and uh, you get your individual um, communion set sort of sealed, and then you park up, you crank up the air conditioning, tune into 88.5 FM, where you can then listen to the songs, listen to the prayers, the readings, and the preaching, and then you can go home without having to engage with a single person. Doesn't that sound wonderful? <laughs> well, well, Dave and I we were, we were laughing about this um, this week. We, we listened to some of the interviews of some people who went to this church, and one lady said this, I, I was going to a normal church, but it was people which put me off. <laughs> but I now I feel spiritually closer to God, alone in my car. It's pretty tragic, isn't it? I wonder what you make of Daytona Beach drive-in church. Maybe you think it's individualism gone mad. It, it, it's sort of reducing faith down to this privatised religion between just me and God. Maybe you think it's that. Or maybe you think it, it reveals a sort of a selfish consumer mentality making church all about me and my needs instead of others and their needs now perhaps you think it's a fundamental denial of what it means to be god's family allowing worshippers, if you like to be hermetically sealed off from one another in their own little cars i don't know what you're thinking about that church but here's what i'm thinking is the way we do church actually that different? So I wonder how many of us, or how easy it is for us, to come along here on a Sunday to to sit down, to listen to the singing, to hear the prayers, to hear a sermon, and then head off home without ever actually spiritually engaging with anyone else around us. Sure, over coffee you might have a little small talk over you know, the weather or, or work this week, and oh, we've got a cold. But have we actually? served anyone? Has anyone felt loved by us? The author C.S. Lewis wrote about uh, this sort of thing, why why it is that we struggle sometimes to love one another. Here's what he wrote. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and, and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, You must give your heart to no one. Wrap it up carefully around your hobbies and and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, your heart will change. It will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable impenetrable irredeemable and we may not be sitting alone in our little vehicles tonight our car park wouldn't really allow it would it but i wonder if the inclination of all of our hearts is to sort of seal ourselves off from others we don't want to be vulnerable we don't want to look foolish we don't want to look weak so our problem, really, is not that we don't know that we should be loving one another. We, we all know love one another's most repeated command in the New Testament. We all know that. Our problem is that deep down, we just don't want to. We could spend the next 20 minutes of me just lecturing you, love one another, love one another, love one another, but it would be useless. What we need, what we really need, is for our hearts to be changed. And that's why we're in uh, John chapter 13. And there are two things in this passage we need to grasp if our hearts are going to love others. And the first one's there in your handouts. We must be washed by Jesus. We must be washed by Jesus. (coughs) Now, if you've ever been to the circus, you'll know that um, before the big climactic act, there's always a little bit of a drum roll, isn't there? Snare drum and then... And then the big event happens. And verse one's a little bit like that. Look down with me if you like. Verse one. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. It's a massive drum roll, isn't it? For what turns out to be a rather... Dreary, anticlimactic foot washing scene. Doesn't that strike you as a little bit weird? I think John's communicating that, that what Jesus is doing in this passage is so much more than what it first appears. This foot washing scene is just a small picture of a much greater event yet to come, an event which will somehow connect to the Passover feast. An event which would cause Jesus to leave the world and return to his Father. An event which would somehow show us the full extent of his love. Let's read on. Verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was now returning to God. So, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around his waist. Now think about it, the disciples, they would have been walking around Jerusalem all day, the filthy streets. They'd been uh, hitting the noisy markets, perhaps preparing for for the Passover feast. They probably would have been dodging um, sort of um, animal manure on the floor with mixed success But now here they are, they're in the upper room, they're reclining at the meal, they're enjoying polite conversation, when suddenly Jesus starts to get undressed. He puts on this little towel. It's the sort of thing a slave would wear. And then having run some water in a basin, he then begins to scrape the dust and animal feces off the fisherman's feet. Now you need to know, this sort of behavior is not normal. It's not the first century equivalent of hanging up your guest's coat when they come in. This isn't just some polite gesture which everyone does. This is an extraordinarily humiliating act of selfless love. And again, it's just a picture of what Jesus has really come to do. We heard that in the Philippians reading, didn't we? See, Jesus is the eternal son of God the one for whom all things exist, the one with all power. And yet, for our sake, he made himself nothing. He took on the form of a slave and ultimately went to the cross for our sake. See, to cleanse, to cleanse me from my pride, Jesus gave himself up in humiliation To cleanse me of my selfishness, he gave himself up selfishly. To cleanse me of my idolatrous thirst for power, Jesus used his power to serve. But some of us, we might be thinking, well, okay, but is this degrading act here, is it really necessary? I mean, certainly that's what Peter's thinking in verse 6, isn't it? Look down with me, verse 6. Lord, he says are you going to wash my feet i mean I, I can wash my feet easily enough it's not difficult i can do this i expect perhaps we would have responded the same way I'm, there's something sort of deep within us instinctively isn't there which deep down we say we don't want to accept help thank you very much i never accept help at the supermarket would you like help packing your bags no i can do that myself thanks we don't want to appear weak do we We want to look strong. We we don't want to appear needy. We want to look self-sufficient and and independent. A number of years ago, I was chatting with a lady in our church in Dagenham. She would have been mid-70s at the time. And she was saying how she's dreading the day when she won't be independent. She's dreading the day when she'll have to be taken to the bathroom by someone else. The day when she'll have to be washed by someone else. She doesn't want to have to be helped. She would rather help herself, and I'm sure we can all sympathise with that. But the fact is, there are some things we can do on our own. There are some things we can't do on our own. Look at verse 7. Jesus replied, you do not realise now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, says Peter, you shall never wash my feet and what Jesus says next is crucial for us here tonight. He says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. In the 19th century, there was a Hungarian doctor called Ignaz Semmelweis. And he, at that time, <coughs> um, he was a baby doctor, obstetrician, I think they're called. Is that right? Obstetrician. And uh, back in those days, uh, one in six children died in following childbirth sorry one in six mothers would die from infections following childbirth and and some was the first doctor to sort of figure out figure out why that was so he observed that a doctor's daily routine back then would often begin in the in the autopsy room sort of cutting up dead bodies from which they would then go immediately to the labor ward to help expecting mothers without once stopping to wash their hands Semmelweis put two and two together and then he began washing his hand with this ammonia-chlorine solution and he commanded all of his other staff to do the same. And very, very quickly, death rates plummeted from 1 in 6 to 1 in 50. Semmelweis then spent the rest of his career lecturing across Europe about what he had discovered, but virtually no one was willing to listen to this strange Hungarian doctor. Do you know, when he died, age 47, all his wash basins in his hospital were just thrown away. And he died the laughingstock of the medical community. He said this in his final lecture. Postnatal infection is caused by decomposed material being conveyed to a wound. I have shown how it can be prevented. I have proved all that I have said. But gentlemen, while we talk, 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 women are dying. I'm not asking anything world-shaking. I'm simply asking you, to wash, for God's sake, wash your hands. Jesus says in verse 8, unless I wash you, you can have no part with me. See, if in our pride we, we refuse to be washed, we will die from the contamination of our sin we will end up standing before a holy god in judgment unclean and unprepared but you know if we accept this cleansing which he offers us here tonight then in god's eyes we're as clean as jesus is maybe you're just visiting us here tonight you're looking in on christian things and you think no there's no way god could accept me the things i've thought the things I've done the things I've not done I'm too unclean well this is why Jesus came he came to cleanse the unclean he came to wash sinners like you and me and he washed us with his own blood as he died on the cross tonight would be a great night to come to him to be washed but if we're thinking about this question of how we might love one another as a church family this has got to be our starting place. It's a bit like those um, airplane safety announcements that no one really <coughs> listens to. Um, you know, when the lady does the, "hear the X's" da 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 And they, and they say, when the gas masks come down, if, if the gas masks come down, what should you do? You put your own on first before you help the child next to you. And I guess the reason for that is, if you've passed out, you're no use to anyone else. Well, if you like, Jesus' love for us is the oxygen which enables us, empowers us, equips us to then love one another. It's his love which keeps us from just joyless, cold duty, begrudgingly going through the motions. It's Christ's love which sustains and empowers our love for one another. And that's why when people come here to St. John's, the first thing I want to do is get them involved in a small group. I want them to find and build relationships where Christ's love will be spoken to them and where they'll be built up in Christ's love. So over the years here, I've come to notice there's a direct correlation between those who are irregularly hearing about Jesus and those who are irregularly loving his people. So the first thing we need to grasp before we're going to serve others is that we must first be washed by Jesus. But the second thing we need to grasp is that we're not better than Jesus. That sounds a pretty abundantly obvious point, but allow me to to show you. Um, Verse 12, Jesus asks his disciples of I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. What does Jesus mean here when he commands us to wash one another's feet? Well, you might know in some Eastern denominations, they, they take this very literally. So once a year, the, the bishops process into the cathedral in their golden mitres and finery And then they sort of symbolically, ceremonially sort of wash one another's feet, laying aside their mitres and their their robes for a brief five minutes of grim work. And then they put their golden mitres and cloaks back on and then job done, brilliant. Wash one another's feet, excellent. I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at here. Given how this passage clearly links to Jesus' death on the cross, it's far more likely Jesus' is commanding us to emulate his example of self-sacrificial love. It's a love which is going to be practical. It's a love which is going to be heartfelt. It's a love which somehow brings a form of cleansing to one another. (coughs) At the end of the 19th century, the, the Salvation Army had just begun... And it's beginning to make its mark internationally. If you don't know about Salvation Army, it's very different now to what it was back then. Back then, it was this amazing inner city gospel movement. They loved the poor. They shared the news of Jesus Christ with them. It was brilliant. And all over the world, world, people were coming to be involved in this this new gospel ministry. Very exciting. And there's one guy who came all the way from America. His name was Sam Brengel. He was a very prominent church leader in a very wealthy church. But he wanted to be part of this new cool thing. So he came all the way over uh, to get involved. But at first, William Booth, who ran the Salvation Army, he, he, he kind of accepted his services rather reluctantly. He said to Brengel, you've been your own boss for way too long. So Booth set about humbling Brengel, and he gave him the job of cleans- cleaning the boots of all the other trainees. At first, Brengel pretty great church leader he was pretty put off by this he asked himself have i followed my own fancy across the atlantic in order just to blacken shoes and as he caught himself thinking that he remembered jesus bending over the feet of fishermen and then he said out loud lord you wash their feet i will black their boots Being honest, I've got to wonder how many times in my week I catch myself thinking a bit like Brengel did then. And um, Last week, uh, a cupboard downstairs in that corner, um, had a, we had a big leak, and water poured all over our children's resources, including our very expensive flannel graph. And I was seeing this in the morning, I was thinking, who can I find to get to do this job? David wasn't in, so I couldn't... I couldn't
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, that was my first instinct. I, I don't want to. This, this is below me. This is a waste of my time. I have too many big, important things to do. This is menial. I can't be doing this. That was my first thought. And I've noticed actually, this is often my default setting. As someone whose job it is to teach the Bible, I, I tend to reduce love down to simply speaking edifying words to others. But I expected all of us, in our own ways, we we're all tempted to reduce love down to whatever it is we find easiest. Some of us are naturally industrious. Uh, we're always busy, 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 doing lots of things for the church. But do we ever stop to take an interest in people? To smile at them, eye contact, take an interest. How are you? Others of us, we, we are, we're naturally good at that. We're naturally affectionate, naturally relational. But in those relationships, do we talk about Jesus? Do we we encourage people with words of truth? I wonder if this this diagram on your handouts might be helpful, it might not be. But see down that triangle. See, love is not just words, it's action. And love is not just action, it must be combined with affection. And love is not just affection, it's speaking words of truth. See, looking at that triangle, I guess each of us have a comfort zone, don't we? You can probably know where your comfort zone is. But the question is, as we look to Jesus, are we willing to step outside our comfort zone? If we're not willing to do that, then perhaps deep down we think we're better than Jesus. We're greater than our Lord and Master. It kind of goes without saying, doesn't it? But being a servant is it's really hard work. I don't know, perhaps you've... Perhaps you've experienced the the discouragement when your area of ministry just isn't noticed. Perhaps um, people are ungrateful, perhaps needlessly critical of your very best efforts. Maybe you keep on serving people who, frankly, you find very difficult to like. Well, if that's you, you're in good company with the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's striking here, isn't it, that he washes even Judas's feet. See, anyone can love people they find lovely. I think only the person who has the spirit of Christ in them will love people they find unlovely. People they find difficult or awkward or different to them. So our motivation to do this isn't human praise. It isn't just a pat on the back. It isn't brownie points with God as though we could possibly earn those. No, our motivation to serve is that Jesus first loved us. And friends, we're not better than Jesus. And so we serve just like him. I love the way our passage ends. Did you see that, verse 17? It ends with this wonderful encouragement. Jesus says, Now that you know these things... You will be blessed if you do them. So, yeah, serving others is gonna, yeah, it's gonna be costly, it's gonna be painful, but you know what, there's gonna be massive blessing too. I think primarily this blessing is, is gonna be in the future when we meet Jesus, when we get that warm embrace, and when he says to us, Well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Friends, look forward to that day. But you know what? This blessing, we, we get even a small taste of it now. Some Bible translations, they, they, they translate this word blessed as happy. Because you know what? There's nothing happier. There's nothing more satisfying. There's nothing more meaningful than loving the family which God has given us. Ironically, when we serve ourselves, we're miserable. When we give to others, we're happy. Now that you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So when I began writing this talk, I, I began thinking, I don't want this talk to be a sort of lecture, a, a guilt-inducing diatribe. We all go home feeling, oh, so many things I now need to do. I, I, I didn't want to do that because, do you know what? By and large, as I look out, I, I, don't, think, I don't think St. John's needs that sort of talk. By and large, we are a serving church. So I think of someone who spent their weekend cleaning and gardening for someone who's in hospital. I think of a mum who offered to take care of another mum's children just so she can get some rest. I think of a busy city worker who gives up his lunch break every week to meet up with a young Christian to disciple him because no one else will. I think of people who give up their holiday their holiday, in order to be here with 7 to 10-year-olds teaching them about Jesus at the Easter Holiday Club. You see, unlike so many churches, here it's not the case that 10% of the people do 90% of the work. We are a hive of gospel activity, and I praise God for that. But, But for those of us who are perhaps currently parked within our cars as it were, perhaps we're not wanting to get out, not wanting to let others in. Well, let me encourage you again to consider how Jesus served you and to step outside your vehicle, to risk being known, to risk being loved, to risk offering yourself up in service to your King. Because if you do that, you're blessed. You're blessed. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a perfect saviour, a saviour who could wash us when we could not wash ourselves. And we praise you that in him, we also have a perfect model of discipleship, and love. Father, we each struggle to love in different ways. We're all selfish in different ways. But I pray, Father, that looking to him, we will become more affectionate, more willing to act, more willing to speak and encourage. Father, please form us in the likeness of your Son, in whose precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.